Welcome to Freedom Through Truth, a broadcast outreach of Ministries of Wayne Weaver, bringing the freedom of God through the truth of God's Word. The imagination of the mind. The enemy sees that if he can get to the battlefield of the mind, he's got exactly what he wants. This is what he saw when he went for Eve. Because it says here that Eve was deceived, somehow thinking that if she eats of the fruit of this tree, she will be like God, and it'll all be well. But it says Adam was not deceived. Adam knew the consequences of this. But you know what? He yielded to the woman's voice, which in a book I wrote concerning uh, Sower's Field, I speak about a Jezebel spirit in there that is very obvious that a man has a weakness, and that is to find acceptance with a woman. A woman can have all kinds of an imagination, bring it out as valid proof, even though she has none, and it becomes a valid point to a man that is weak in that area. I've seen it so often, the battle of the mind. I have not heard any amens yet. Which one would it come from, the men or the women? <laughs> Yeah, I understand. Genesis, um, notice then in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 8, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything living as I have done. The air of the earth was cleansed. After this incident where he washed it all away and he took all the imaginations and brought them down to neutral, he said, ah, there's a sweet savor in the sacrifice. This is something sweet, but notice it was right after the sacrifice that things became sweet. That is often the problem when a person is confronted by the enemy to have imaginations or to allow the thoughts to go much further than they should. What happens is when they come to the place of sacrifice and to lay that down and to die to it, then what you'll have is a sweet savor and God will bless that. Imaginations, when those were settled in the hearts of men and he had to clean out all the animals with the exception of what was in the ark, only then came sweetness, and God was blessed by it. And then he said, I'll never do this again. The words that David said to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28, verse, verse 9, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. Serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Serve God with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, a mind that is willing, a mind of servanthood. Not a mind of demand, but a de mind of servanthood. For the Lord searches all hearts and understandeth all imagination of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Now notice where God deals with when he looks at man. 
He's not looking at his eye color. He's not looking at his hair color. He's not looking at the size. He's not looking at the height. He's not looking of how short or how tall. But he's not looking at anything except what we read here. And now I'll repeat it again. This was the words that David said to Solomon. My son, after he would take on his kingdom, now uh, know that the God of thy father, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, or a kind heart, and with a willing mind. Serve God with a willing mind. That means servanthood, which demands the cross with willingness. In this situation is where God finds sweetness. But when the imaginary plays whatever it does, God will not find sweetness in you. Actually, there's some very strong words that he speaks about later on that I might get to today of people that will refuse servanthood but demand their own things based on what all they have come up with themselves. He understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. He understands what I'm imagining and the thoughts. He knows everything about you, why you've derived on this subject, why you have just thought why you thought what you did. He knows exactly what this is. This is what I find in most messes that I run into are all based on imaginations, almost all. I would say 90-some percent. And when I go to dealing with the imagination that somebody imagined, normally the solution is very quick. I've heard some very, very interesting things in my office of people that came with build-up things that were build-up, imagined. And I'll tell you, the weakness of that is often if I can say this, it is often, sorry, I'm not even going to say that. I'm going to say it this way, with people that have somewhat a little bit more feeble thinking or somebody's mind that got hurt. If somebody's mind got hurt or wounded in some way, then the imaginary starts growing and becomes a big thing. But all it is is not factual. It's all imagined. You see, when you get hurt, you start imagining. Whether it's your partner, whether it's a fellow employee, wherever it is, if you get hurt or you feel you're a bit violated, you immediately start springing an imagination. And you build a whole case of, out of nothing to make a case. And all that's happening is you're opening yourself of who you are, having no case to build in most cases. And what it does then is it forms an attitude within you. Then immediately when you have an attitude against your partner, you form a case against your partner, against your children. See, you see, if you don't quite trust your partner, you immediately get really concerned and start imagining why your partner is late. And there's all kinds of stories that can form. And you get really upset by the time they come to the door. It could be a legitimate reason. But a lot of the things, I'll, I'll give you this example. I've heard this remark over and over. I don't believe I'm married to the right person. You know what that tells me immediately? When someone tells me that I believe I'm married to the right person, I immediately say this to them. Who else do you have in mind? You will always feel that you and your partner are not really made for you if you have an exception clause 
that you like someone a little bit better. That's the way it works. When a person tells me that my wife or my husband, I just think we're the wrong pair. It doesn't work. I immediately ask him next question, who else is in your life? Or were you that way in the former? It's just something that is always there. Another one is, I'll say this, and as a rule of thumb, it has always proved out. Now, you might get really irritated at me. Just don't imagine, all right? You might get really irritated at me. Just don't imagine anything against me. But if a person tells me, I just do not love my partner anymore, I always say, so who else do you love? I have found that you will not love your partner as long as you love someone other than your partner more. Or even if you have that exception of if I would ever have the chance to love somebody else, I would. That little exception clause is in there. That will keep you from the love of your partner. It will. You can argue as long as you want to with me. Here is one I've always been proven correct on. It's because it's the way it works. You will love somebody, but you will not love several people. And as long as you love somebody else more, you will hold it back from this one, even if you're married to him or her. The imagination, the power of the mind, the thinker, the way it thinks, it will base its love towards one person. That's nature. So I'm speaking a bit direct today, understand that. In Proverbs chapter six, verse 16, it says like these, these six things does the Lord hate. And it talks about six different things. And then it says seven are an abomination unto him. And then in verse 17, here I have them numbered. The Lord considers a proud look an abomination. How many of you would desire to come in the category of being an abomination to God? To me, that's one of the most serious categories you can get in as far as being against God. You even have God turning against you here, I believe. If you are an abomination to God, that is a huge insult in the face of God. And you do not want to come to a place where God becomes your enemy. But the first one here is a proud look. A proud look is an abomination to God. Number two, a lying tongue is an abomination to God. Anytime you lie, you're an abomination to God. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood is an abomination to God. Just heard of the two people that were just released from prison for 25 years. No, it was more like 30 years. Two people. There was another one for 25 years that they were wanting to put a death penalty on him and wanted to take his life. And they just discovered that he was innocent. Somebody carries that sentence that was due to them and it was imagined to the point where they pronounced a man like this guilty until DNA results came, which we have now in our modern day. 
Verse 18, which is number four, a heart that devises wicked imagination. God considers it an abomination if your heart devices wicked imaginations. Now immediately we're thinking about lust and things of that nature. I don't believe that's what it's speaking about. It can be, but I believe it goes much deeper than that. A heart that devices, it's a devised heart, a heart that is equipped with making wicked imagination against somebody. Again, remember, imaginations, what are they? They are not factual. You see, if you think, if I think that you don't like me, my imagination will be as a radar out here. And as soon as I see that certain little look on your face, I immediately imagine, ah, now I know he or she doesn't like me. Imaginations. Now we can talk some about that concerning uh, marriage partners, and I'll probably get to that somewhat, a little bit. Number five, feet, and let me just say it again, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, meaning false imaginations, which all of these imaginations are just that, then you are an abomination to God. Number five, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Feet that are swift to run to cause mischief. God considers that an abomination. Number six, a false witness that speaks lies. Somebody says, I saw it with my own eyes, but it's a false. It's a witness. You say you're a witness, but it was not true. That's an abomination. Number seven, he that soweth discord among brethren. Somebody that sows discontentment amongst God's people. God says, you're an abomination to me. It's a really strict word. It's a very strong word. We hope you've been inspired and changed by today's message. If you wish to listen to today's message or for other audio and video resources from the preaching ministry of Wayne Weaver, please visit ministriesofwayneweaver.com.